the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a Thursday. You know what today is, right? For Zach and I, you know what day it is? You know what day it is? Huh? 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 You know what a day is? It's in-game day. Oh, man. That's right. <laughs> you got your tickets, Zach? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's had it for a week. Oh, wow. And he's at him. I got mine in my wallet. Yeah, for those that couldn't see, Zach just held up his tickets. He's got them printed off, ready to go. Got a big smile on his face, Big too. smile. Man, I'm telling you, you know what the... I, I truly, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, too, but my wife really wants to get caught up on some of the stuff. So we're going through sort of a an Avengers, Marathon. all the different movies, yeah, trying to catch up with it. So we've still got to see Captain Marvel, but then the end game. So I'm, I'm excited about it, but we're in the process of going through them all. And there's so many movies. Mm-hmm. You forget how many movies there are until you start like... Uh, there's a really great piece online that kind of walks you through, you know, watch timeline. this one and this one and then that one. And I was just like, this is a really long list, but there's there's such good movies. Well, here's what's so good about it and so interesting. Ten years old. This is the 10th year. Is that not right, uh, Zach? So what you have is that you have Iron Man that they did first and they were already thinking about where they were going to go yeah. to 10 years from now. <laughs> they had the end game. Amazing. They had the end game in mind. Yeah. When they started, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's so, they just have done such an incredible job. And, and that's really the first time I think that I've, I mean, I can't think of another time where you've had so many, um, sort of, um, uh, different movies that kind of cross over movies oh, and then connect you know, all the pieces, and you got all the pieces you gotta connect and together. you have to be able to think that through and make sure it makes sense and then drop some nuggets in this movie that you pick up in the next i mean it really is incredible oh, so, how they do it so you want me to tell you the other group of movies that are the same way which ones are those? star wars oh that's right yeah that's true the last one of this saga yeah is this december you know what ray and and all the things you know and what's going on and you know, uh, Han Solo's son, is he going to become the new Darth Vader and all of that? That's, you know, okay, uh, was it Kylo, Kylo Ray? Is that who that is? Kylo Ren. Ren, yeah, Ren. Ray is the good person. Ren is but those the not are, good person. But aren't the Star Wars movies, those are all like, as far as like, you know, Star Wars and then Star Wars, you know, it's like a diff- all the different kind of movies. But the Avengers, it's crazy because you'll have Ant-Man, right? It's standalone and you'll have like an appearance by... One of the other characters that happens oh, yeah. to be, and it, that's what's just like because the timeline is so jumbled yeah. that people cross the timelines. Yeah, and that's interesting. Same thing I thought was interesting with Rogue One, mm-hmm. Star Wars, which I think is, I could argue, I believe I could, and very diligently that Rogue One was the best Star Wars movie made. Seriously, because the person who wrote it 
Was it what uh, the guy who directed it? That was Edwards, wasn't the God's the guy who directed Godzilla? So because he was going to do Godzilla two, and then they offered him Rogue One, and he took Rogue One instead of doing the sequel to Godzilla. Yeah, Gareth Edwards. Yeah, Gareth Edwards. That's who it is. He's an English director, but he took that movie and the way he finished it up because it's just a little tiny slice of the timeline of Star Wars. It is what happened. From the end of one and the beginning of uh, New Beginning. Uh, and that's what's interesting about it because I showed it to my, my kids. I showed, we went to watch Rogue One at the movie theater, but I bought it on DVD and I said, I want you to see this. And I played the end of Rogue One. And then I started New Beginning. Picks up exactly, exact, with the exact same shot. That, wow. that that one starts with. Because it's all that, it, when you saw New Beginning, it started off with them talking, guys talking about these uh, these plans were were gotten by, with a big cost, basically, that fish guy. What's his name? It's Admiral something. And they made the, the, the st- that statement. And then you see what those characters did to get the, uh, the, 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 plans for the death star see i love that kind of stuff i dig it yeah i do too i i like it when they I just really really have it to all like, together yeah, when you i mean it's like sort of a uh i mean there's a lot of planning and thinking that goes into all yeah, that you better believe it's it. crazy and i have yeah end game's probably gonna i can't i just can't imagine how much money they're gonna make off this movie i mean there people are just, it's showing at cabot theater it's showing four times before seven o'clock wow tonight and then it's showing, then it'll show again at nine o'clock. I know that. I don't know how many times after that. I just know that, yeah, it, you'll be able to hand, you know, hang the people from the light stance. Oh, it's going to be crazy. It's gonna be cra- yeah, it's going to be really crazy. And this has got, I mean, this will, you got to think this is going to shatter every box office record. I think it will. Now, I, what's funny, you know what, what Disney thinks is going to be their biggest movie this year? They don't think it's in game. Lion King. Really? That's what Disney is predicting. Wow. I think they're wrong. I think they're under, under achieving for uh, the Avengers. Yeah, they're underestimating for sure. I mean, like you just said, ten years, ten years in the making. Like we've had like twenty year olds were ten when this started. I mean, you followed yeah. this all the way down, and you saw the same thing with like the you know the Harry Potter movies yeah. and things like that. The yep. The end. I mean, this is. I, I think it's going to shatter box office records. Yeah, this is the end of the. And it's first, well done. The, yeah, the first phase of MCU. By the way, how big is your bladder? And I heard it's. How long is it? It's like three hours in a minute, brother. Whew. Yeah. It, I mean, this is a. I know what you're waiting for us to talk politics. We're going to get to it because JR <laughs> here. But here's the bottom line. This is that more fun, is though, right? Thick. Yeah. This movie's thick. This movie is what all about what happened before. Where are these characters that died, and how are they going to get back? Because you know they're getting back, right? You got you got a new Spider-Man movie coming out in just a month and a half, so he's still alive. But in the last movie, he died. So how is that all coming together? And then you're going to launch the new MCU from this movie, and Captain Marvel's there because she's going to be the impetus for the right. new Avengers movies. So it's going to be interesting. They got to put all that together in one movie. Yeah, yeah, and I and that's one of those things where you know, 
three hours, when you can get a 98% rating on Rotten Tomatoes for a three-hour movie, <laughs> yeah. you know you've done something right. But I'm telling you, too, just the setup from the last movie, right, where you've got, uh, uh, you know, you, you, I mean, it's seriously one of the most, like, devastating endings, right? I mean, you know it's coming, but you're just like, yeah, oh, my gosh. And that's how you, and you, have to, and you just walk out of the theater going, we have to wait for this next one to come well, out. Well, luckily, but it was only a year. That's right. I mean, truly, you like <laughs> Game of Thrones. Hey, remember Game of Thrones into season six to seven? It was like a year and a half, almost yeah. two years. But you have uh, something really, really incredible that, you know, like you're, you're dejected. And then they have that one scene where, the, you know, the Captain Marvel's triggered and all of a sudden just sort of, you know, I mean, they just do such an incredible job to kind of grab the audience. See, they knew where they were going then. Yeah. They oh, knew yeah. what was going to already happen. And uh, the Captain Marvel... It was going to show up, but it all made sense after you saw Captain Marvel. Yeah, but isn't it hilarious <laughs> that like, you know, you got to think about these guys like Chris Evans and uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. His are, contract done, but I mean they've been doing this for a decade. Yeah, especially Robert Downey Jr. This yeah. has been, I mean, it's been going on for his, I think, more than a decade. So yeah. it's, I mean, that's kind of crazy to be like. I read a great article about uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and their relationship, friendship, that sort of stuff. And that they've literally, it's like, you know, being in school or working at the same job for 10 years, yeah. you get to know someone and, and uh, it's pretty and Suddenly incredible. you're not going to show and up then on Saturday. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Although I do not, I do not put it to the side that the cameos are not going to happen sure. with the new yeah. MCU universe, which would be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see which Marvel characters and Avenger characters they bring into the new MCU. Because now that... Uh, the folks at uh, at Marvel, uh, they're they're all under one umbrella now. They've been bought up. It, it's going to be really really interesting. I mean, think about that. They now control Fantastic Four. They control the X Men. They control the Avengers. All those they could. We can finally see, perhaps, um, you know. The dude with the claws, whom I'm losing is Wolverine. Wolverine in the uh, Avengers, because Wolverine yeah. played a big role in the Avengers storyline. Yeah, you got it, but I. I and it will it, not be Hugh Jackman. I know, and that man, he was he was the best. Well, uh, I, I tell you, I, I feel I, the I, same I, way about Captain America. Yeah, Chris Evans encapsulate and that's what that's what one of the jokes yeah. of robert downey jr he was like they literally went out and got captain america to play captain america yeah. <laughs> it's just like i mean who else are you gonna find to play that spot so yeah, it's it's gonna be no, it's, it, it's gonna be i'm looking forward to it but we've got a we've got a ways to go to catch up so miss, but, uh, it'll be miscasting has been the underlying dis- destruction of other franchises. Oh, it's like DC when they tried to do this. and I mean, Ben Affleck as Batman was just a no, terrible decision. I agree with that. I don't like him as a... I don't like him as an actor. I didn't, yeah. I, I, but it's just not Good Will Hunting right? the only one I like. I, I have this. This is my... Uh, I have this idea with, with uh, Ben Affleck that all of his movies that are successful take place in the Northeast. <laughs> Boston! Exactly. You know, have you ever seen Have you ever seen The Town? Yes. Oh, Great movie by like, Boston. Lo- yep, by Goodwill <laughs> Hunting, Boston, Boston. Company Men, Boston. Yeah. Everything that he does well seems the to take place. The accountant, yep. Boston. Boston. Yep, and the, yeah, it's just so funny to me. Like every time he has a good movie, you just know where it's it's based See, out of. So. The accountant is another movie of his that I like, but that's Ben Affleck being Ben Affleck in that movie. Yeah, 
<laughs> That's all it is—a wooden person. But and they, now he actually is. I think he's one of the only. I think he's the only one who's played Batman and Superman. Right? Didn't he play? He played the old, but it was it was like the, it was the. Uh, um, it was Daredevil. It, Dare, no, well, yeah, no, no, no. But he played. But I think he played. It wasn't actually Superman, but he played uh, uh, the old. Um, it was like a biography, but he was the he was the Superman. Oh character. yeah, he played. From- um, the guy on television, yeah. George Reeves. Yeah, yeah. So he played, and, and he was that character. Yeah. But it was funny because he's been Superman and he's been Batman. Batman. But it's kind of. But there will never be a better Batman than Christian Bale. That's. Ex- I agree with that. Yeah. At least right now, nobody that I've seen yet has done. That and they're still trying to capture the whole uh, Heath Ledger Joker. I don't think there will ever be a better Joker. I think Joaquin Phoenix. That'll be interesting, and he's kind of, he's kind of got that he, same sort of personality. Yeah, but, they're uh, both. They're both are on the edge of insanity i agree so yeah. they should do he should do it well yeah i i still think dark knight's probably one of my top five like that that was one of the that was a that great was movie a, and it was just again it's all about casting you got to get the right people but yeah because i i'm gonna say it sure wasn't george clooney <laughs> no it wasn't george clooney and nipples uh, it was uh how many batman were there before the uh, it was like well you had clooney uh, and you had let's see uh uh, um, what's his name? Val Kilmer. Val, Val Kilmer. Kilmer. And we go back to uh, oh my gosh, Keaton, Michael yep, Keaton, Michael right. Keaton, and 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 that was a totally different. That was a real comic book take on Batman yeah. because you had uh, what's his name directing, uh, who just did Dumbo. But I actually thought Keaton was a pretty good Batman. Yeah, he was good. He did. but it was just it's about it just wasn't the same. The Dark Knight was it felt like. Real. It's real. Yeah, same it thing gritty. with even the Avengers, you know, it's all, but it's just, it's, the stories, it just feels like, oh, that's, that's, that can who happen. Was, who right? was the artist that did that? He's the guy that did Sin City. You talk about the director behind uh, that? Not, not the director, the comic book that did the, the trilogy on Batman. He did the Sin City movie and uh, mm. it was so good, real gritty. And then they did uh, Frank uh, Miller. That's who it was, Frank Miller. And Frank Miller was the guy who did Batman as Batman. He did the best rendition of him since Gil Kane did it initially. So, I mean, really good stuff. Now, let's go talk politics a little bit. <laughs> but we'll do that when we come back. All right. So, Dave Ellswick Show. J.R. Davis is here. I didn't know he was such a geek for movies like this. This is great. We oh, can yeah. talk about movies and other things as well. We'll be back to talk about this new gunmaker coming to Little Rock. This is a huge, huge story. You know, I was I had Congressman Hill on yesterday, and he, he had a couple things he wanted to talk about, and then he mentioned about this particular story. And I, I said, we're going to talk about that first, Congressman, because that's the big story. It is. It's huge. Let's talk about it and when we've we come got back. even more we can talk about. Too. Oh, good. Yeah. Dave Ellswick Show. We'll be back in a moment. All right, back with you. We'll have things to talk about later on in the show as well. We're going to get back here in just a moment with JR. I want to uh, direct you to make sure that you're listening at 435 today. I have an exceptional interview. I had to record it early because he was only uh, available at this time. But uh, Brian Lamb is going to join us. Brian Lamb is the man behind, the man with the idea who got it started, and it's been around now for like 40 years, C-SPAN. And you will want to hear this uh, interview. Zach was sitting over there recording it, and he said, that was a 
great interview. <laughs> what was really great about it is I did some background on Brian Lamb and found out he's from Lafayette, Indiana. Okay. And uh, so we're fellow Hoosiers there you go. in that sense. And I told him that, uh, and, and we talked about it before we did the interview, but the bottom line being that he said, where from? And I go, from uh, Gary. I was born in Gary. And he goes, oh, the region. And only somebody who has been brought up in Indiana would even understand what he's alluding to. The northwest part of Indiana is like the bastard area of Indiana. We're more Chicago than we are Indiana, really. And uh, when he said that, I answered back to him, yeah, I have my switchblade in my back pocket because everybody thought we were like the Palookas up there. That we were criminals and the mob That's funny. up in that area. So he, he understood that. Small he, world. He graduated from Purdue. I said, I'll forgive him for that because I'm a huge IU fan. But, yeah, it was, it was interesting talking to him. That's cool. It was a lot of fun. Well, let's talk about something, uh, Jr. that I – I'm sure, I don't know if the governor does this or not, but he got up yesterday or the other day and got ready to do this uh, presser, and he stood in front of a mirror and just beat his chest. Because this is, <laughs> I mean, no, this is a huge, huge uh, announcement about CZ USA, yeah. Czech USA. Now, my question, first one that ran through my mind is, how did you guys ever hook up with Czechoslovakia? Well, I'll tell you, this is all about, you know, you talk about uh, or you hear about the governor going on these trade missions uh, to Europe and, and the Paris Air Show and the Farnborough Air Show and, and going over there and just making these connections. We have an AEDC office in Germany. Um, it's the This isn't just something you do to do it. You do it. Uh, in order to be competitive, in order to get Arkansas's name out there. And um, the governor had these conversations uh, early on. Um, this was one of those uh, deals where, you know, they got the idea. They said, you know, uh, sort of planted that idea, had some long conversations. But at some point, um, uh, CZ USA was, they were looking to expand, have their, you know, first real um, manufacturing headquarters in North America. They had a plant in Kansas City. They have a plant in Kansas City. It was about 70 employees. Um, and, and they were just, they kind of got to a point where like, I, I just don't know if we can make this work. Uh, and, and basically the governor and, and Mike Preston, the executive director of AEDC, uh, met with CZUSA. Uh, and, and the president CEO is Bogdan Hatchko. And he was here for the announcement. And they sat down and said, look, uh, let, let's work this out. We, we can make this work. Come to Little Rock. Let us show you around. So he came to Little Rock, fell in love with, with the trails and the biking trails here. He's a big biker. Uh, absolutely loved it. And I should say cyclist, right? So, <laughs> uh, But he loved the outdoors, fell in love with it, and actually found a Czech restaurant here in Little Rock. Congressman Hill was talking about yeah. this yesterday. And uh, it was a, kind of a funny line during the uh, news conference, but uh, found a Czech restaurant. Uh, thought that was just incredible to have here in Little Rock, and it, it was. Czech beer. And it had Czech beer. And it actually had his favorite Czech beer. Uh, <laughs> and he just said, look, this is just, this is perfect. It makes sense. I love the city of Little Rock. He fell in love with it, um, with with our outdoors, and obviously with, you know, something as simple as, you know, a Czech restaurant with his favorite Czech beer. And, and I think just the relationship that they established with the governor, uh, our office, and of course, AEDC, and just the strong work they did over there, just saying, look, give us a chance. Take a look. Uh, we're we're, we're going to make this a long-lasting relationship. And, and uh, quite frankly, we utilize some of our existing 
partners here in central Arkansas with the So Falcon Jet uh, mm-hmm. and some of the families that have moved over here from Europe uh, and have found a home and made a home here in Little Rock and have fallen in love with it. And they heard firsthand saying this isn't just a relationship that'll be good from the beginning it, or for just the beginning. It's a relationship that's long lasting. The state of Arkansas will always be with you. And I think that's such an incredible reputation to have uh, on on the global platform to yeah. be able to say, hey, look, you know, we, we move from, from or we're over here from Paris, France, and we have an incredible relationship with the state of Arkansas. And now, you know, uh, Mr. Hashko can tell people over in Europe that, hey, we have a relationship with Arkansas and it's been incredible. I mean, so that's how you really sort of elevate your brand as a state and for people to stop asking, what is Arkansas? Where is Arkansas? And more so, how do I get there? there you you know, that's what we want. And so this is going to be I think it's 565 jobs over six years. Uh, I believe it was a $90 million investment. Uh, And this is just going to be huge, huge news for the state of Arkansas and the city of Little Rock. All right. News is next. Then we'll be back and talk more with Jr. All right. Back with you. We're talking with Jr. Davis. He's the governor's spokesman. I had asked him. I should have asked him a lot sooner. But I asked him uh, if the governor could come by to talk about uh, this Czech USA uh, move, and he said that he was out of uh, out of pocket right now. He's he's over at another big opening or something yeah. that's going on. Yeah, I'm telling you. So let's before I get to that. I mean, it's what's today, April 25th. Okay. So on April 10th, we had a big announcement with Coca Cola uh, bottling company Consolidated that's moving that's moving uh, one of its uh, production facilities to West Memphis and transferring about 60 jobs there. So that was good. That was, it's good. 60 jobs for West Memphis. And I think anytime you can pull something from the state of Tennessee, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it is. Um, so you got 60 jobs there in, in West Memphis. Uh, the governor was at a ribbon cutting for Sig Sauer, which they just landed a big defense contract. Uh, they have 160 employees right now. I think it started off with 50 just a couple of years ago. That's, you know, the congressman was talking about that yesterday. Congressman Hill was here in the studio yesterday. Yes, yeah, so he was at the ribbon, ribbon cutting, he and was. he said, "Yeah, they said they're going to have a total of sixty-seven uh, employees, and then they they're up like to a hundred and sixty-seven employees." Yeah, now. yeah, it's incredible. And so we were there for that, and then of course on Tuesday, uh, the governor announced a CZ USA coming to Little Rock with five hundred and sixty plus jobs uh, over six years, uh, and then today. Uh, he was he is in Helena, West Helena, uh, as we speak, and he'll be announcing. Um, uh, uh, well, he'll be at a, a grand opening there that'll be uh, the reopening of the Dragon Woodland um, Sawmill in Helena, West Helena, $10 million investment, creating 75 new jobs uh, and for Helena. for people that need jobs like Helena's, you know, Absolutely. West Helena, that's nothing but really good news. Absolutely. So we're just, it's really exciting right now, uh, everything that's going on with, uh, economic development and and we talk about it all the time so you know when you're in a campaign and then you turn around you have a legislative session uh, sometimes some of that stuff you know gets lost uh, with everything else going on but this has been the governor's focus since 2014 that he said i'm going to be the jobs governor i'm bringing jobs to arkansas we're going to expand our existing companies uh, we're going to make sure they know that they have the confidence and that we're committed to them and they have the freedom to expand uh, and and be more successful. Um, and, and then we're also going to go out uh, and compete with states uh, around the country for jobs here uh, in the United States, 
but also globally. And that's what these trade missions are all about. And um, CZ USA was was a fantastic, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of example of all of that and what it means to create those relationships. So it's really exciting. But I say all that because everything we do from computer science education to tax reform to health care reform and the work requirement with Medicaid, it all has to do with economic development and economic growth. The governor calls it his growth agenda. All of it is is attached to jobs, to job creation, to creating a stronger workforce, uh, and that's what it, that's what's exciting because you start to see all of this starting to come to fruition. And Arkansas has always had a very diverse economy, from manufacturing to retail, of course, ag, aerospace. Um, uh, it, you know, so we're we're really um, a diversified state as far as our economy goes, and now we're bringing in you know the tech community. Uh, you know, the startups were saying, we want you to come here. I mean, FinTech in Little Rock, the, you know, they call Little Rock the, the birthplace of FinTech, which is incredible. So, I mean, just to see what we're doing, and, and we've only been out of session for a few weeks. <laughs> and we've well, already really, had these. Wednesday. Well, yeah, exactly. Wednesday was the final, yeah, yesterday. final day. But when legislators left a few weeks back, um, you know, we, we started hitting the ground and saying, okay, what, let's, let's start moving forward with some of these uh, economic development policies and these announcements and to say, hey, uh, this is what we've been working on. And now we, we're at a place where we can actually start to announce some of these things. So, I mean, Aerojet Rocketdyne had a big announcement uh, earlier this week. And so uh, it's, it's very exciting to see uh, all of these sectors, you know, um, expanding and growing as a result of really the policies we put in place over the last four years. So um, there's good stuff happening in in, uh, in Arkansas, and there's more on the horizon. And the governor will take off in June for another trade mission, um, and uh, and we expect to to sort of plant some more seeds out there and let people know that hey. You know, we're here. We're the real deal. Uh, come to Arkansas. We, we want to help you grow and, and foster that relationship. So it's really, really, really exciting. And anytime you can have, uh, you know, the, the head of Sig Sauer and, and the head of uh, CZ USA uh, and DeSoe Falcon Jet and folks to you know, go out there to the global community and say, hey, this is the place to be. If you're going to come to North America, if you're going to come to the United States, Arkansas is where you need to come. That's very, very exciting. Well, Congressman Hill said that the CEO of Sig Sauer is a huge, uh, you know, guy that's the CEO of Sig Sauer saying you need to go and look at Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah, he has been our, I would say, he's a great cheerleader. Exactly, and that's what the governor calls him. He's a, uh, he is a voice for Arkansas, an ambassador to the rest of the world saying, hey, we took a shot, and it has been amazing, you know, and, and, and that's what we want. We want people to say, look, you may not know a lot about us, but but give us a chance. Let us show you what we've got. And every time we've done it, uh, we've been met with, with uh, incredible success because they understand that not only do we have the workforce and we're strengthening our workforce, we're diversified. Um, but we, but they know that we're a business-friendly state. We want them to come here. We want them to be successful because if they're successful, we're successful. And that's how you start turning some around turning around some of those metrics uh, when you start comparing Arkansas to the rest of the country. We're a major player now, and it's exciting to talk about it. The other thing that uh, was interesting that the congressman brought up is that both the CEO of Six Hour and the president here of CZUSA both have done nothing but bray good things about the workforce of arkansas yeah yep absolutely because typically we hear we don't have the workforce for 
any of these other places. Yeah, and I and I get you're exactly right. That's another testament uh, that I think you start seeing some you know automobile manufacturers take a look at that us would and be see big. that. Yeah, and 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 I know that's something that's that's. Uh, uh, the state's been working on for some time, but but that's what you need. You need people to say they have a good workforce. Let me tell you right now, Sig Sauer and and the ammunition and and the guns that that they manufacture. I mean, they even talk about it that it's a it's a craft. It's not like you're pushing a button. These uh, these employees they have their hands on this equipment. They are making sure everything is right and perfect, and and that it's high quality, and that it's a uh, you know something to be proud of. Uh, not just in Arkansas, but for the company as a whole. So, I mean, this is this is a is an impressive workforce that we have in Arkansas. What we always talk about is continuing to diversify that workforce, make sure that we have the proper uh, worker training uh, set up so people can get that education. Um, but but also that we need we need to grow it. You know, when we have an unemployment rate that ticked down again to three point seven. Uh, we've got we've got to continue to grow and strengthen that workforce, and that's what we're we're trying to do on on several different levels. From you know Votech, you know if you're going to go to a four year college, great, but there's also alternatives, and uh, and we want folks to see those as um, good opportunities, and they are. I mean, I can go all the way back to you know, Northwest Technical Institute and the millions of dollars that Tyson pumped into the ammonia manufacturing there, and and uh, or the ammonia refrigeration program there, and and uh, and the fact that they're going to start feeding. Uh, students into Tyson with good jobs because they're hooked up with that. That's the partnership we're looking for. You can talk about UA Fort Smith uh, and what they're doing as well. So it's it's really really exciting and and it's and it's great when you have all these pieces of the puzzle right and you're finally starting to connect them and say what makes sense. Companies need workers. You know, educational institutions are there to train those workers. So how do we connect the two together and how do we get the most? out of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're finally starting to see in Arkansas. And, and it's great and it's exciting. And we're a small state and there'll be other states that still kind of overlook Arkansas, but not for long. I mean, you're starting to see some things that are really exciting here uh, from, uh, you know, we talk about jobs in the economy, but just leading by example with computer science education and healthcare reform with uh, work requirements and all those sorts of things. It's very, very exciting. All right. So uh, to just turn my attention away from jobs and turn my attention back to the courts mm-hmm. the governor was excited to hear that they are fast tracking yep uh this uh lawsuit against yeah, we've got our the, working people yep. we've got the expedited appeal and um uh and should be if necessary which will be necessary uh will be in front of the supreme court by the fall uh so that's uh, very exciting as far as just you know getting getting our argument heard. This you know many people thought that this was going to take years and years to to litigate, and that's not been the case. Uh, we're 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 um, really pleased with the steps that the DOJ took. Obviously, you want to be strategic and make mm-hmm. sure you've got all your eyes dotted, T's crossed, that sort of thing. Um, but we we got what the governor requested immediately following the judge's decision, and uh, and so we should be. Um, uh, we sh- we you know we-, we should be in front of the Supreme Court by by you know mid October. So. That's great news. That's r- I'm I can't stress enough. That's great news because that could have taken three or four years, and then may have fallen off the the edge if a Democrat had taken over the White House. Yeah, and and let me explain something too that I think is really really important here. I mean, there was a lot of. Uh, uh, media reports and analysis out there that you know uh, the governor was just trying to get the the DMS appropriation 
uh, passed so we could move forward with it regardless of what happened. But the governor was very specific to legislators. He said, we are going to fight. You know, if you're going to challenge the status quo and you want to change things for the better, you have to fight. There are going to be obstacles. This is an obstacle. And he said, we are going to push for an expedited appeal and, and we feel that we're going to get it. Uh, so let's move forward so we at least have the platform in which to fight this battle uh, moving forward to the Supreme Court. And, and you know, true to his word, that's exactly what's taken place. So I, I think that's, a, that's, that's always good to build that confidence with the legislature and know that, you know, the chief executive of the state is, is not just, you know, spouting off words. These mean something. And, uh, and he's just as, as dedicated to this as, um, you know, as the, as the Senator Ballingers of the world and, and those individuals. And so we, we want, um, you know, to be true to our word and the governors continue to do that. And I think this is a testament to that. So uh, there's going to be a lot of news. The session's over, but I'm telling you, it's, 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 uh, it's something newsy every single day, it seems like. And um, it's very, very exciting. And, and uh, starting Monday, the governor will go on his sixth or seventh computer coding tour around the state. He'll have visited after this one more than, I believe, 65 schools, um, you know, pushing the message of computer science. So we're just, you know, we're, we're uh, uh, zero to 60 and from 60 to 100 yeah, <laughs> after well, session. So that's the way you get things done is being uh, at this point, I can say on this particular uh, uh, great news uh, in uh, manufacturing and bringing jobs. Bold moves. Yeah. I'm all about, you know this. Yeah. Bold moves, and this is a bold move. There's, I, I'm just saying there's more of this to be cherry-picked because there's some states that are just doing stupid stuff. Yeah. And well, that's the thing. You've got to have that. You've got to have that sort of underlining uh, um, uh, sort of, you know, string that kind of pulls everything together, right? Mm-hmm. And that's economic development. I think a lot of states, and, and I obviously don't know what every other state does, but uh, sometimes there's there's sort of this idea of tax reform um, that is sort of separate and apart from from you know workforce development or you know economic development. You've got to be able to say, okay, what is our overall goal, and how do we connect all these pieces to get there? And that's what we've been able to do in the state of Arkansas in the last four years is say, okay, here's our goal. And I think most Arkansans that are paying attention are starting to see that. You know, we do something over here, maybe it doesn't make that much sense. We do something over here. It feels like it's completely different, but then you kind of start seeing the big picture and how all of this comes together uh, for the purpose of us achieving this goal, which is to bring more jobs into Arkansas and develop a stronger workforce. And that's what we're doing. And so I think other states kind of get into some problems when they just start saying, okay, let's just do this and we'll do that. And, and, and there's no real overarching goal of what they want to do and how they all connect. We've been able to do that. We've seen the fruits of that labor and we've got four more years to, to continue it. So. All right. Let's take a break. We'll get our fan, final break for this hour in, and then we'll come back and finish up our conversation with J.R. Davis. He's the governor's spokesperson. All right, so when we talk about a, a company like CZUSA coming in here and upwards of 600 new jobs, all of them with an average pay of $22 per hour, you know, J.R., speak to the point that that's a big, that's a game-changer for central Arkansas as a whole. Oh man. Um, I mean, anytime, you know, anytime we have a jobs announcement, it's exciting, right? But when you can bring in a jobs announcement like this, we talked about 560, um, employees over six years at around $22 an hour. Uh, let me put that in perspective for you. Six hour. When we were talking about this during the break, you know, we were hoping 50, 60 jobs at the start, 
possibly 100 jobs. You'd be confident because, I mean, they're, they're yeah. a great company, but, you know, 100 jobs over two, three years. They're at 160-plus jobs right now. Yeah, they, they're they going to make, uh, Congressman Hill was telling me, 25 million rounds of ammunition next year for the military. Yeah. Twenty. twenty it takes a lot of people to make 25 million yeah, rounds. It does. And so that just speaks to what Sig Sauer's been able to do with the workforce they have there in Jacksonville. And now you're saying CZUSA's coming in with a commitment to Arkansas for 560 plus over six years. You know, if that's the if that's the track and that's what we get in six years, amazing. But who knows how fast it could, you know, that could be fast tracked. You just never know. But it's a game changer in and of itself. Uh, Mike Preston uh, was kind enough to share some information with me the other day of uh, just sort of a cool statistic that. Uh, in that story, uh, I think Mike was quoted, you know, talking to to uh, some of the press to say, okay, look, we have a website, we have a landing page on the website where folks who are interested can go ahead and submit their applications for CZ USA. This is cool. So the website, the landing page was uh, went live around the time of the news conference was at like 10 or 10.30, I think it was 10.30. Uh, by midnight that night, they had over 500 applications. In the first that's day, great. not even a full day. Uh, and, and so that just tells you the hunger that's out there. Uh, and this is, you say game changer, you know, it's easy to throw around, but it truly is. I mean, this is an opportunity for uh, families right here in central Arkansas to, to get a leg up, to, to, you know, maybe move from something they've been doing for a while or or, or uh, maybe this is their first job or whatever it might be. This is $22 an hour. It's a good living wage. It's incredible uh, for these these individuals. And, uh, and, and the opportunity is just through the roof, you know, and, and, and I think that's what's exciting when you have these companies coming to central Arkansas, uh, when you have the Walmarts and the Tysons uh, and the J.B. Hunts in northwest Arkansas, uh, great university systems like U of A and ASU and the things that are happening in Jonesboro, West Memphis with Coca-Cola realizing that, hey, this makes more sense for us to live to be located in Arkansas and not Tennessee mm-hmm. uh, for this particular plant. I mean, that's those are game changers. That really starts saying, okay, wow, they're making decisions, uh, uh, you know, to to move and relocate or expand here in the state of Arkansas. Maybe we should start, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a company CEO or, or um, you know, uh, looking to expand or relocate, I start thinking, okay, well, maybe maybe Arkansas is somewhere we need to look. Uh, and I think that just speaks volumes to to what Mike Preston and his team have done and, and the governor's focus and not losing that focus, which is easy to do when you get caught up in the day-to-day activity of state sure. government. Sure. Um, but it's always been a focus of his. And so I think it's really, really exciting um, with what's happening in the state. And, and, you know, the more successes you have, uh, the easier those successes tend to come. You, you just got to continue – um, to to keep those relationships up and 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 then have great advocates like we have in CZ USA and Six Hour. This has got to be a real excitement for Little Rock in in general, uh, with the city council and whatnot, knowing that this type of investment is coming in. I mean, we all know that Little Rock really screwed the pooch a few years back when they didn't get FedEx. FedEx wanted to come here. And they were not the most gracious hosts, and they ended up over in Memphis. Yeah. So you're not missing out on this one, guys. No, and I'll tell you again, uh, you know, um, Mike Preston said this the other day in the news conference. Frank Scott Jr. was mayor-elect when they said, hey, we need you to meet with these guys. And and he said, absolutely, tell me when, I'll be there. No, cool. And so I think it's, you know, again, it's a testament. It's a, it's a new uh, – 
uh, a new regime here in, in, in the city of Little Rock, and he's focused on economic development. And he said it yesterday, him being uh, Mayor Frank Scott Jr., uh, that this is the largest jobs announcement in Little Rock uh, in a very, very, very long time. You have to go a ways back to find that. That's what I'm uh, saying. That. Yeah, and, and that's nothing to, you know, sneeze that's about some, either. That is Caterpillar to crow about. Exactly. So, you know, remember Caterpillar not too long ago also announced, you know, an expansion of 250 jobs. So, I mean, there's a lot of activity happening uh, in, in the state throughout. I mean, there's just, like I said before, we've talked about, you know, West Memphis and Helena, West Helena and, and Northwest Arkansas, you know, Northeast Arkansas. It's just, it continues uh, to just keep That's moving good. forward. That's good that it's, it's happening exciting. all over the state. It is. Yeah, it is. It's That's very good. exciting. I mean, we, and I, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I forget and I shouldn't, the, the incredible economic development that's going on in uh, El Dorado, in, in the southwest part of the state, that's Texarkana. I mean, it's they're becoming is, an arts community down there. But it's great, and that yeah. and, the, and that bringing in the culture and things like that uh, to your city. That's the when you talk about the quality of life. If you, if you ask the NBC, they have a very different definition of quality of life. Uh, but when you talk about real quality of life. It's being able to go to those restaurants and have those music venues and and the arts and things like that that people want to be part of and and the bike trails we talked about yeah. those those are the things and I won't say anything bad about the bike trails for <laughs> give it away there you go <laughs> uh, but I mean that's that's really that's that's sort of the the idea is is that talent wants to enjoy life work is work it's a career but you want to enjoy your life with your family Mm -hmm. and that's how you do it and that's what they're looking for and i think all parts of the state are really starting to get on board with that and doing some really incredible stuff uh so it's it's it makes it easy for a guy like me to come up here and spend an hour on your show just crowing about all the cool things that are happening throughout arkansas and and it just so happens that a lot of this has started to take off over the last four years and it's a it's a testament to the governor's leadership and his focus in the state all right we're out of time we've got to get out of here news is coming up we come back we'll talk about politics and why the democrats are out of their mind i'll give you six reasons why they're out of their mind only six just six (laughs) and they're good ones back next on the dave ellswick show All right, you want to hear something? Zach, sit down, pull the mic over. We got to talk about this. This was on Daily Caller. You guys are watching the final season of Gates, uh, Games of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, we got two episodes in. We got, what, four left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to Zach about this. I think it was yesterday I, in passing. I mentioned to him that uh, Sunday nights, upcoming episode will be the longest of the six supposed to be close to an hour and a half Mm -hmm. one i've understood because it's going to be the fight between winterfeld Mm -hmm. and the the white whites the whites Mm -hmm. all right coming all right which goes with david hookstead has posted this came up about an hour ago okay a game of thrones theory is now ginning up a huge amount of attention online, and it involves Arya's role at the Battle of Winterfell. Mm-hmm. According to the theory, which is making waves online, Arya might fake herself as a white in order to kill the Night King 
in the third episode of the final season of the hit HBO show. That would be awesome. I mean, she's no one. Yeah, that's exactly right. She is no one. All right. Uh, Let me read all this all off to you. Mm -hmm. I think Aria is planning an assassination trip to go kill the Night King by taking the face of a white. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, she went to that castle and was trained yes, in how to take on the vestiges mm-hmm. of anybody. 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 Become nobody. Mm-hmm. There isn't a lot of evidence, but I think what we have gotten in the past two episodes is fairly convincing. One, she has Gendry make her a special dragon glass weapon. That's right. So she's definitely planning on killing some White Walkers, mm-hmm. and she knows that killing the Night King ends it all. Yep. Her conversation with Gendry last episode had her prying a bit into what the Whites were like. She mocked him a bit for his generic answer, but she was clearly trying to find out the deepest information she could Mm -hmm. on how to portray a white in the most convincing way. Conclusion. I think she wants her special weapon to kill the Night King. Yeah. And I think she wanted to know what the whites were like, not to sate her curiosity, but to accurately portray one in order to get up close to Big Blue. Mm. I think at the Battle of Winterfell, she will take a white's face and use that to enable her to carry out her assassination plan. That would be Now, he goes on to say, honestly, I know this theory is getting a lot of serious play online, but I'm not really buying it. Yeah. I'm not really buying it at all. It'd be so lame if the Night King dies because... Area tricked him into thinking she was one of his minions. Exactly. I fully expect her to use her skills of disguise mm-hmm. at some point this season. Will she be the one? Now, this is just an aside by me. Go ahead. Will she be the one that kills Cersei? You know what? She probably will be. She might be. All right. It wouldn't make sense at all if we went through the whole season without seeing that. However, the Battle of Winterfell isn't a time or place. Now, what I do expect from the youngest Stark girl in the Battle of Winterfell is to be racking up the body count. Mm -hmm. She's arguably the most efficient killer of the whole crew. That's right. An assassin. (laughs) I think she's going to be out uh, there slashing away left and right. Mm. I don't know how well it'll end, but I think she'll be smoking people. <laughs> the uh, fact she's running through the crypts in the trailers looking terrified doesn't exactly fill me with confidence that she meets a great end. We'll find out if this theory has any merit on Sunday night on HBO. It's going to be majestic. Sometimes you just know when something will be outstanding and that's exactly how I feel right now. Mm, I can't wait for Sunday night. It's going to be good. I'm going to pop up extra popcorn. Yeah, they really you know, bas- do my thing. They basically laid it up this past weekend because they didn't want to really do anything. Just, you know, want to get everyone united under one roof. Well, you know what it reminded me of? Watching the old World War Two yes. movies. That's right. When the guys would sit around and they knew the big battle was coming right. and they... 
it's used stories about home and stuff like yeah, that. That's true. You know, we fought together at this battle and blah 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 and you know, having a beer together or something and in the back of their eyes, if you look at them, you can see the fear the building. Fear. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah that's that's how, kind of how I I took that all uh, with what well, they were what they were doing. Well, see, that's why Tyrion and Jamie and all them was drinking away because you know, especially Tyrion, you know, he's fearful that you know easily. But Jamie, I don't know, he's the he's the King Slayer. He's bowed the dragon before. But you know, he, of course, they all he have left fear. out. He left a little out when he went and talked to Brienne. Yes, and said, "I'm not the warrior I used to be." He's not. He well, lost. he only got one hand. That's it. And, he and tried, it was his major hand. Yeah, and he, he. In fact, his whole purpose was to go to Winterfell not only to help but to be trained under her hand. Yes, that's it. And you know, there was no time to do that. Basically, they're coming. Wasn't that cool when he said when he knighted her? That is arguably one of the best moments of Game of Thrones history. That was a special moment. It really was. It, it was good. And it was carried out so well. Yes, it was. They acted that out really, really she, well. She really didn't want to believe him initially, but she was like, oh, this guy's for real. I mean, you're talking to Jamie Lannister. This is the youngest probably knight in Game of Thrones history. Yeah. He was that gifted. And so he knows all the history. So if he's telling you that a knight can basically give you the honor of a knight it can happen oh yeah and she was surprised oh yeah it was great and what a good time to get it and what has been fun uh in last week too was was Arya talking to the dog you know yeah that was pretty cool i don't want to die up here with you too yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to spend now my the last mountain, hours basically. the mountains with cersei yeah you know and that guy plays that part is huge yeah have you ever, I get uh, Men's Health magazine. Mm-hmm. They've 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 featured articles with him two or three times. Yeah, that guy is massive. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm talking massive he dumbbells knows. that weigh in excess of 250 pounds. Yeah, and pressing them over his head, and he's he's one strongest man in the world before. Yep, that con- that contest. Mm-hmm. He's he's something else. Gigantic. All right, let's take a break. When I come back, let me give you the nine radical policies. That 2020 Democrats are putting on the table, and they are radical. And then we'll, uh, before we get to our interview with Brian Lamb at 435, and you don't, let me just say again, you don't want to miss the interview. It's really, really good uh, about the, in in the behind the scenes of, of C-SPAN. And I mean, what what Brian Lamb started, nobody else had ever done and talking about bringing some transparency to the governmental policy, it, it you know goes without saying that C-SPAN did that. But he's got an interesting answer to that question that I asked him that you'll want to hear his answer to about the transparency. That's coming up at 435. When I come back, the nine radical policies 2020 Democrats are putting on the table. All right, my thanks to Peter Hassan. Uh, for sending me his article before it was even published. Uh, Peter's a good man. He thinks thinks very deeply about what's going on in, in politics and uh, typically writes for the Daily Caller. Democratic presidential candidates are increasingly embracing radical policies as a jockey for position in their party's crowded primary. 
a little bit later, I'll explain to you why I don't think Biden's going to get the nomination and, and, and why that's going to be. Listen, these are the big nine radical policies that Democrats have been talking about the most here thus far. Number one, started talking about this a few weeks back, and then they moved on to another one. But it's important that you keep in mind all of these different radical policies they've mentioned. Packing the Supreme Court. That's the number one. South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete uh, Buterig, I think is how he pronounces it. Senators Kristen Gillibrand of New York. Kamala Harris of California. Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Former Texas Representative Beto O'Rourke have all expressed their openness to expanding the Supreme Court in order to counter a slim conservative majority. Left-wing activist groups have pressured Democrats to support court packing after they were unsuccessful in stopping Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation. The last time this happened and was turned back by the Senate was during FDR's uh, time as president. He tried because he couldn't get a lot of his New Deal stuff through the courts, kept getting defeated by the courts, and he wanted to, like, double the Supreme Court. And he was looking to pack the Supreme Court with Democrats. That's what he was looking to do. Number two. And we all laugh at this for the most part, but don't put it out of the Democrats' uh, lexicon. Lowering the voting age to 16. Representative Eric Swalwell of California, Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, voted for legislation in March that would have lowered the federal voting age to 16. Harris and uh, Cory Booker both expressed openness to lowering the uh, voting age when asked about it by the Daily Caller News Foundation back in March. Harris said she is, quote, open to that conversation for sure. She's open to any conversation, it seems like to me, if she thinks it's going to score points. Uh, Booker said he hadn't really thought about it but was willing to hear the case. And O'Rourke has also said he's open to to lowering the voting age. Democratic presidential candidate uh, South Bend Mayor Pete uh, said that he's open to lowering the voting age to 16. The next one, forcing schools to let male athletes compete on girls' teams. Booker, Pete, Harris, Gabbert, and Gillibrand all support the Equality Act, which would require schools, not ask schools, require schools to allow male athletes who identify as transgender girls to compete on female sports teams. The bill would amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to make sexual orientation and gender identity protected characteristics under federal anti 
discrimination law. Among other things, the bill would force public schools to expand female athletic teams to include biological males who they identify as transgender girls who would have access to locker rooms and women's facilities. Next one, another one that uh, they've been talking about extensively and it's been out in the news. Abolishing the Electoral College. Abolishing the Electoral College is another idea being taken very seriously by 2020 Democrats. Quote, every vote matters and the way we can make that happen is that we can have national voting and that means get rid of the electoral college. It would what Warren is saying in that particular statement, and she said it just a couple of weeks ago, is she is being very clear to us when they say we can now have national voting. You get rid of states. States wouldn't run their own elections. They would be run by the federal government. That's never been the case ever in the history of our republic. But remember, they don't say we're a republic. They always say we're a democracy. We are not. We are a republic. As a, and for the country's sake, we must stay a republic. Uh, Buterig uh, from South Bend said it absolutely has got to go. He was asked that if he supports abolishing the Electoral College. Booker expressed his support for the idea in March. I believe very simply that in the presidential election, the person with the most votes should be the president of the United States. That's to tell every small state in the union, you won't count. Let's abolish the Electoral College. If we get rid of the Electoral College, we'd get a little closer to one person, one vote, O'Rourke said back on April 1st. I thought this was an April Fool's joke. Uh, Gillibrand co-sponsored a bill this month that would eliminate the Electoral College. Uh, And she says she's ready to fight in Congress and around the country to pass the constitutional amendment to do just that. At least she's being honest and saying that we must change the constitution of the United States, get rid of this uh, electoral college because um, the constitution's wrong. At least she's the one. It's just not an up or down vote on this. It's going to have to be passed by two thirds of the Senate, two thirds of the house and two thirds of the States to make it happen. One more before we go to break. Killing private health insurance. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Medicare for All proposal calls for eliminating private health insurance. Booker, Harris, Gillibrand, Warren have all signed on to the bill in the Senate. Gabbard is co-sponsoring the House version. Let's eliminate all of that. Let's move on, Harris said in a CNN town hall in January, referring to private health insurance. Okay, so now we'll take a break we got to get to the news. That's coming up. And after we come back from the news, then uh, we'll look at uh, the other four radical ideas that are being uh, purported by these Democrats. 
if those first five didn't bother you, I'll guarantee you the last four will. That these are people who believe that your son and daughter should have to shower with someone of the opposite sex who thinks that they're of their sex in the uh, the bathrooms or uh, during gym or doing sports or uh, use the facilities at the same time is crazy. I think we all admit to that. A majority of Americans do not want to see that. But this is the stuff they're pushing. Now, they may be pushing it and, and they're saying to their, you know, people that are helping them run the campaign, yeah, we're going to push it. We don't have a snowball's chance and you know where of, of getting it passed. But we'll let the left know we're open to the craziest things that you can think of uh, from the left. Uh, and uh, we might not get that done, but the other stuff then doesn't sound so radical and maybe we can get that done. I think there's a, a, a large group of Americans that have no idea why the Electoral College is so important uh, with us being a republic because they have been taught by uh, teachers and they've been taught by the media that America is a democracy. We are not. We are a republic. News and then more. All right, back. We've been talking about the nine radical things Democrats from uh, for running uh, for president for the Democratic Party in 2020 are, are proposing. So let's run over the ones we've talked about thus far. Let's catch up. Packing the Supreme Court, number one. Number two, lowering the voting age to 16. Number three, forcing schools to let male athletes compete on girls' teams. Uh, abolishing the Electoral College. And then the last one that we talked about, killing private health insurance. All right, here's the rest of them for you. Terrorists and mass murderers get to vote in federal elections. Man, we've been talking about that the last two days, ever since Bernie Sanders brought it up on the CNN town hall and Harris went along with him and then Warren went along with him. I, I, I've said all along as the uh, there's 21 Democrats now running for the nomination. When they started having to debate each other, that we would see this happen. You Right now, because it's a primary, and in primary, the people that are most likely to go to the polls are the people you got to win over. And the people that they're all feeling they have to, uh, uh, you know, help are those that are younger because a lot of younger voters come out for the primary, maybe not for the general. Sanders wants to restore voting rights, not just to formerly incarcerated felons. And I think that you can you can carry on a, a logical and, and good uh, conversation about should someone who's paid their time be able to get their right to vote back. However, he wants to allow currently incarcerated felons to be able to vote as well. That would include terrorists like the Boston bomber, rapists, and other violent criminals. And Sanders admitted that on Monday. Harris expressed her openness to the idea Monday before she later walked it back yesterday. You remember I played that that cut for you uh, from uh, 
both uh, the town hall and then she was talking to some reporters and said, of course, we shouldn't allow, you know, uh, rapists and murderers to, to vote. Uh, she wrote, walked that back because I know the head of her campaign got her in a room and said, don't be saying stuff like that. You can't be that far out left. Government penalties for misinformation. New York entrepreneur Andrew Yang includes a government crackdown on online misinformation, which would include penalties for media companies. Yang's proposal would introduce penalties for persistent and destructive misstatements that undermine public discourse, unquote. That's according to his campaign website. Quote, if enough citizens complain about a particular source of information and news is demonstrably and deliberately false, there should be penalties, says Yang's website. Next, free college. Warren has been the one on this one. Free college, funded by taxpayers, is also on the table for 2020. Elizabeth Warren unveiled her plan Monday to cancel student loan debt for many Americans while making public universities tuition-free. Experts estimate my debt cancellation plan creates a one-time cost to the government of $640 billion. Now, when she says one-time cost to the government, what is she saying? a one-time cost to taxpayers of $640 billion. The Universal Free College Program brings the total cost of the program to roughly $1.25 trillion. Sanders, a Democrat socialist, has been demanding free college for years, but Warren said her plan goes further than his. What did I just said? When they get up, they start talking amongst each other. They'll always run to the left, further left of each other. And then last but not least, wealth confiscation. Warren wants to go beyond raising income taxes and tax Americans' wealth, a constitutionally fuzzy proposal, in order to pay for her free college promise. Warren's plan would levy a 2% annual wealth tax on households with a net worth over $50 million and an additional 1% tax on any households with a net worth exceeding $1 billion. She said enough money would be raised from that 3% to pay for free uh, college and for paying off student loan debt. I've not heard anybody running the figures on that. I would sure like to, to hear it when they do, and if that's even close. All right, so let's run through uh, these, these again. You've got wealth confiscation. You've got free college. You have government penalties for misinformation. Terrorists and mass murders get to vote in federal elections. Killing private health insurance, in other words, uh, single payer is what they're talking about here. And look, they've been they've been aiming for this 
since Obama's first term when they passed the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. And uh, Reed, uh, Senator Reed from uh, Nevada at that time, admitted to such when he said, we like to have done single payer, but we did not have the votes uh, in our party for it because they didn't worry about Republican votes. They had enough. They had an overriding majority uh, in the House. And so they felt they could have gotten it passed, uh, and they would have, but they did not have the votes at that point. So they went with this uh, Affordable Care Act, which I believe, and I've talked about this before, I'm on record for believing this, that uh, the Democrats knew that the Affordable Care Act would fall apart because they knew several pieces of it uh, was uh, unconstitutional and uh, that it was uh, it was built on very shaky ground. But they were working at destroying private health insurance at that time and making it so that when it came time to go to single payer, it'd be no, it'd be no big deal. And uh, I mean, Harry Reid admitted to it. That's exactly what they ended up having to do. So uh, they've been wanting to kill private health insurance all along. You want to know why your health insurance is so high? Thank the Democrats. They're the ones that have been trying to make it look like uh, the health insurance uh, companies are, are uh, that's what they're pushing. They're just pushing to be more and more, uh, uh, making more money, and they could care less about you when, in fact, they're jumping through all the hoops that the government says that you got to jump through. Uh, abolishing the Electoral College. Um, the majority of uh, the candidates all agree on this and get rid of the Electoral College because they truly want a country that is uh, a country that's um, a democracy and not a republic. They want to force schools to let male athletes compete on girls' teams. This has been um, a a Democrat uh, plank uh, since being in uh, Obama's uh, being in the Oval Office. He didn't see any problem with it. He was the person who really started saying that uh, boys could go into girls' bathrooms and and boys and girls should be allowed to to uh, you know change uh, for their uh, playing of uh, sports and and whatnot. That, that's a Democrat ploy. That's not what the the uh, the act of for equality and, and with sports and what was ever thinking of of putting boys who think they're girls playing with girls and girls who say they're boys playing with the boys. That's not why it was there. I can I remember when it was put into place, and the reason it was done is so that girls could play sports at schools. Most schools didn't have girls' teams when I was uh, in high school. Uh, they they were just starting to allow girls to play basketball and not have to play half-court basketball. Do you even remember that? Did you know that that's the way they used to have to play, Zach? Yeah, you had, you had your offense and your defense, and they had to sit at other ends of the court because they didn't think the girls could play the game and run up and down the court because they were the weaker sex. Stupid, I agree. All right? And finally, 
they got to the point where girls were able to play the game the way the boys were able to play the, the game, other than that the basketball is smaller than a boy's basketball, somewhat smaller. All right, another one they want to do, lowering the voting age to 16. That's what they want, voting age down to 16. Uh, it only got to 18 when I was 18. That's the year that it went to, it went into effect, uh, 18 and up. And the only and the only reason it did is because the Vietnam War was going on, and you could be drafted at 18. And I think it's a legitimate argument to say, you know what, if you have to carry a gun and go and protect your country, you should be able to, uh, of course, go out and uh, and vote for the leadership of your country. I have no problem. As far as I know, there's no 16-year-olds being drafted to go into the military anymore. And then uh, packing the Supreme Court. Again, that's that's uh, the last, the ninth, of these nine radical policies that Democrats say they are for and are on the table for 2020. All right, we've got to get a break in. Got to get our final break for this hour in, and then we'll come back and continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, I'm going to play uh, or have uh, uh, Zach play. I think we got time to play Biden. Okay, this is Biden announcing that he's going to run for the Democratic nomination uh, for president. Here's what he had to say. Charlottesville, Virginia is home to the author of one of the great documents in human history. We know it by heart. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. We've heard it so often, it's almost a cliche, but it's who we are. We haven't always lived up to these ideals. Jefferson himself didn't, but we have never before walked away from them. Charlottesville is also home to a defining moment for this nation in the last few years. It was there on August of 2017 we saw Klansmen and white supremacists and neo-Nazis come out in the open. Their crazed faces, illuminated by torches, veins bulging and burying the fangs of racism chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. And they were met by a courageous group of Americans. And a violent clash ensued. And a brave young woman lost her life. And that's when we heard the words of the President of the United States that stunned the world and shocked the conscience of this nation. He said there were, quote, some very fine people on both sides very fine people on both sides with those words the president of the united states assigned a moral equivalence between those spreading hate and those of the courage to stand against it and in that moment i knew the threat to this nation was unlike any i had ever seen in my lifetime i wrote at the time that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation Oh, that's even more true today. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. I believe history will look back on four years of this president and all he embraces as an aberrant moment in time. But if we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, 
he will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation, who we are. And I cannot stand by and watch that happen. The core values of this nation are standing in the world, our very democracy. Everything that has made America, America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Folks, America is an idea, an idea that's stronger than any army, bigger than any ocean, more powerful than any dictator or tyrant. It gives hope to the most desperate people on earth. It guarantees that everyone is treated with dignity and gives hate no safe harbor. It instills in every person in this country the belief that no matter where you start in life, there's nothing you can achieve if you work at it. That's what we believe. And above all else, that's what's at stake in this election. We can't forget what happened in Charlottesville. Even more important, we have to remember who we are. This is America. All right, there you go. You know, that old school kind of way of announcing uh, that you're going to run, you know, a well-produced piece and whatnot. I'm going to talk about this more in the next half hour. This will be the downfall of Joe Biden. He, uh, every, every step, he is as bad as Hillary Clinton about this, of planning everything down to minutia. Every word, every picture, everything. I mean, I know you don't want to do something dumb, but you better have some spontaneity or you're going to look overproduced and that's not going to resonate uh, in the primary. That might play well at the Democratic convention in Milwaukee in 2020 if you happen to be the person who's running. Now, here's the other thing. I want to see how many people pick up on this. He said, talked about uh, the haters that were out there, the neo-Nazis that were out there, and blah, 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 blah. What group didn't he name that was there in force? What group did he, he called them, in fact, he referred them to them in the group of the people who were courageous, Antifa. Somebody please convince me that Antifa is a courageous group of individuals. They've uh, beat up Jewish people. They've beat up uh, people who just wear a Make America Great Again hat. Uh, They've uh, attacked uh, police officers countless times, and they are courageous according to this candidate. And I find that despicable. If he finds what Trump said it being despicable, I find calling Antifa despicable. And, uh, you know, he called them courageous. They're not courageous. They're cowards. They wear masks when they're out. They don't show their faces. You know, they're no different than the Klan. They're just the opposite side of the coin. That's what, that's what, I wish the president had said it that way. People would have understood what he was saying then. That is nothing but the opposite side of the coin. It's the worst of Americans being displayed, whether you're a white supremacist or, you know, you basically are a Klansman, uh, though not holding Klan ideas. You still, you, you act like a Bolshevik in the Russian 
revolution and you're wearing a mask and throwing rocks and and uh, they've been known to throw uh, urine and throw acid and do all kinds of stuff but they're courageous they're courageous all right we got to take a break we got to get into the uh, the news that's coming up here in just a moment uh for the first half hour at four o'clock we're going to go back and talk a little bit more about what's going on with biden because the left has already come out. They've already come out and they're attacking him. And, uh, you know, Biden's going to have a rough time in the in the primary. I just don't think that he can surmount uh, what's going to happen. I think Bernie Sanders is probably the guy to, to beat. But um, there's others that are out there that are mounting a pretty good campaign for the Democrats. They're promising everything to everybody. All right, a break, and then we'll come back and we'll do more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But the left has got Biden firmly uh, in their crosshairs. They, they've, they're already dug up his, his voting record, talking about how he voted for the Iraq war and a lot of different things and, uh, and promoting that to the uh, possible electorate. So we'll be back to talk more here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let's get back to the show. Let me remind you, coming up at 4.35, a a pre-recorded interview that I did with Brian Lamb will take us up to 5 o'clock. And then after the news, uh, we will be replaying uh, the interview that we did with uh, J.R. Davis, the governor's uh, spokesman. And uh, you won't miss that because it's a very a very positive interview that I think you'll really enjoy about some of the great things that are happening here in the state as far as uh, jobs go and business goes. All right, before we get to all of that, though, let's finish up this half hour. I told you we'd look at how have other people responded to Joe Biden deciding to run for the nomination of the Democrats for president. Well, the results uh, and the reaction came fast and furious. Uh, in a story for Fox News, Paul Steinhauser writes, soon after Joe Biden officially launched his much-anticipated and long-awaited 2020 presidential campaign, a leading progressive group slammed the former vice president. No surprise to me about this at all. Joe Biden stands in near complete opposition to where the center of energy is in the Democratic Party today, according to the Justice Democrats. For instance, Joe Biden's past votes voted for Iraq War, voted for Bankruptcy Reform Act, voted for mass incarceration, voted against school desegregation voted against marriage equality. Those are just a few of the things that they mentioned. Uh, of the, They say the Democrats' future, Medicare for all, uh, the Green New Deal, free college, rejecting corporate, rejecting corporate money, uh, finding, uh, stopping mass incarceration, no deportations. Uh, just listen to this taking aim at Biden, who's perceived to be the moderate, that many of the current contenders for the Democratic presidential nomination, including progressive favorites 
Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, the group argued that, quote, we can't let a so-called centrist like Joe Biden divide the Democratic Party and turn it into the party of no, we can't. Justice Democrats, who also called Biden out of touch, is an increasingly influential group among the left of the party. They've championed progressive rock star Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, as well as Sanders. The group was founded by members of Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign. While Sanders himself didn't torch Biden as he jumped into the race, it's clear that many of his progressive supporters view the former vice president as a threat. Biden's entry into the race, at least in the early going, sets up a battle between himself and Sanders, who, thanks to his fierce fight with eventual nominee Hillary Clinton for the 2016 Democratic nomination, enjoys name ID on the level of the former vice president. But it's not just Sanders supporters who targeted Biden. Let's uh, take a look at the the left and what else they're saying. The head of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, which has been backing Warren, they took aim at Biden, who enters the race as the front runner in most national polls and early primary and caucus voting state surveys. Not in New Hampshire, he doesn't. He's trailing uh, Sanders in New Hampshire, which would be one of the first real tests because Iowa... That's just a bellwether. People like to talk about it, but it doesn't mean much of anything. Uh, New Hampshire has Sanders at 30 and has Biden at uh, 17 percent. Okay, so slightly uh, atop Sanders and well ahead of the rest of the large field of 20 contenders. Quote, with billionaires deciding not to run, progressive candidates have been in need of a foil. If Joe Biden positions himself as the political insider from yesteryear, who says big ideas like universal child care, student debt relief, and a wealth tax on ultramillionaires are not possible, he's going to be an easy foil. That's according to Adam Green, co-founder of this group. These kinds of jabs from progressive groups could be the appetizer for a building clash between the progressive and establishment sings of the of the party. Biden has pushed back against the perception that he's a moderate in a party that's increasingly moving to the left. Earlier this month, he described himself as Obama-Biden Democrat. Former President Obama, Biden's boss for eight years, remains extremely popular with Democrats. And Biden said he'd stack his record against anybody who has run or who is running now or will run. Highlighting his early public push for same-sex marriage, he said, although he voted against it, by the way. Uh, I'm not sure when everybody else came out and said they're for gay marriage. Former Democratic National Committee Chair Donna Brazil, a Fox News contributor, highlighted that, quote, Joe Biden can occupy his own lane in large part because he's earned it. He's earned the right to call himself whatever, unquote. That sounds way too much like, just going to tell you, the way Republicans talked about McCain. 
you know, he's earned it, or Dole, he's earned it. You don't earn anything in politics for the most part. Uh, you got to go out and, and grab it and take it. She did emphasize that, quote, elections are not about the past, they're about the future. I do believe he has the right ingredients. The question is, can he find enough people to help him stir the pot, unquote? Stir what pot? I mean, the liberal that Biden was when he was younger is way on the right side of the moderate Today, I think he's in trouble. Brazil pointed out that the party now has a very vocal and sizable number of millennials who are not old school. They want someone who can lead their generation as opposed to someone who can lead the country. And she and 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 let's talk about that just a little bit. That that's that's pretty insightful on Brazil's part because you have a person who maybe could lead the country. However, the millennials are controlling things right now. The left is uh, pushing really hard on the old guard in the Democratic Party because they tried to get along with them instead of, uh, you know, clearing it, you know, the deck of, of them earlier on. They've let them gain a whole lot of... of um, strength, and now they've got a real fight on their hands. She spotlighted that Biden's challenge is going to be to convince a new generation of Democrats that he can resent, uh, represent their views as well. That's going to be very interesting. This is a primary. It's not a general election when things tend to move more or less back to center left, center right. That's not where we're at. You're in the primary. Primary is about energy, difference, being able to uh, fire up people. I don't know if Biden can do that. And this is, I'm just talking from what I've seen. Uh, a leading Republican strategist suggested that Sanders could have the upper hand over Biden. Quote, I predict a slow and steady drop in the polls for Joe Biden. I see Joe Biden as the 2020 equivalent of Jeb Bush. A politician who has been in the public eye since before Watergate is going to find a far different Democratic Party than even the one he remembers from the Obama-Biden years, argued Colin Reed, a veteran of presidential and Senate campaigns who later served as executive director of the pro-Republican opposition research shop America Rising. Reed claimed that age is a big factor for the 76-year-old Biden that for San uh, then more so than for Sanders, who's even a year older. Bernie Sanders is pushing 80, but his socialist policy prescriptions are the present and future as far as liberal primary voters are concerned. Again, remember, it's about the primary. That's where the liberals and the far lefties come out at. All the beltway chatter about Biden's perceived strength in a general election means nothing. 
if he doesn't survive the raucous primary contest before him. That's exactly right. With slightly more than nine months to go until the first votes are cast in Iowa and New Hampshire, it's far from a sure thing that Biden and Sanders will remain even standing atop the rest of the pack. Did you happen to watch or did you see any of the playback from last night uh, at that woman's movement uh, uh, town hall and the people who were uh, heckling Sanders last night? I mean, they were heckling him. With slightly more than uh, that nine months, Bernie and uh, Biden have some advantages. There is a lot of time for other candidates to break through, though. In other words, we'll see if the two frontrunners have peaked too early. And University of New Hampshire political science uh, professor Dante Scala said, I'm not convinced that those two combined take all the oxygen out of the room and then it becomes a two-person race. He questioned Biden's staying power more than that of Sanders, saying, I'm still curious whether Biden's appeal to moderate Democrats is going to be as enduring as Sanders is to progressives. Interesting. That's it. That's, and I don't say this is a, a two-man race. I'm like the others. It's, it's not like when you say Biden... Behind it, you say eight hundred pound gorilla. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't suggest that he can suck up all the money out there for the other people that are running. I mean, look, Trump could suck up that because he didn't need everybody else's money. He had his own money that he could run on, and that and that endeared him to a lot on the right. I just think this is going to be a very, very interesting, to say the least, um, run here for this uh, this thing. So we'll talk about it to, to see what uh, they have. Uh, Biden has hired, by the way, a former Bernie Sanders spokesperson as a senior advisor. And we'll talk about that when we come back. And... Uh, Steve Forbes has said that Joe Biden is running four years too late. We'll talk about all of that when we come back as we finish up the live parts of the Dave Ellswick show. Remember, 435, my interview that I did earlier today, about 1 o'clock this afternoon, uh, with Brian Lamb, the man who was the founder uh, and the CEO of C-SPAN. You'll find that a very interesting interview, I'm sure. I know I did. And uh, at 5 o'clock, we'll replay for you an interview that we did last uh, at 2 o'clock, not last hour, but in the 2 o'clock hour with J.R. Davis, the governor's spokesperson. Now, this just uh, being uh, announced, former Vice President Joe Biden has not only snagged some of the limelight from Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, announcing that he's joining the 2020 Democratic presidential field, but he also snagged away uh, some of Sanders' former staff. Uh, Biden, who made his long-awaited entry into the race for the White House today, has hired former Sanders staffer Simone Sanders to be one of his senior campaign advisors, according to his campaign. Sanders served as the Vermont lawmaker's spokeswoman in the 2016 presidential race and is a well-known Democratic strategist and political commentator on CNN. 
The hiring of Sanders is another indication of the expected tough fight that Biden and Sanders are in for as the two frontrunners battle uh, a deep Democratic uh, field. Uh, Steve Forbes uh, made the statement that, uh, you know, uh, Biden is getting in four years too late. In other words, he should have challenged Hillary Clinton la- uh, last election. I personally think that that's probably right. He's had a much better chance running against uh, Trump the first time around before all of these really lefty groups uh, got money behind them and things of that nature. They're going to they're going to cause all kinds of problems for Biden in the primary. I'm just telling you, it's going to it's good. Sometimes it's going to be well, it's going to be very entertaining, say the least. Uh, AOC mistakes fellow Democrat for older male Republican in a Twitter gaffe. They said this is kind of interesting. AOC does this. Now, she right now, she's given a lot of grace by the establishment media and stuff. But sooner or later, uh, the bright penny is going to tarnish some. And when that happens, she's in for a rough time. Uh, Cortez's tweets seem to backfire on uh, uh, today when she tried attacking Republicans over a picture of a politician uh, stood next to a cardboard cutout of her. GOP, let's pose our older male members next to cardboard cutouts of young female legislators, she tweeted. Her tweet included a post from the Republican Party of Kentucky. However, the politician pictured was Representative John Yarmuth of Kentucky, who wasn't a Republican but a Democrat, that was posing next to her cutout. Cortez later deleted the tweet but not before critics pointed out the gaffe on Twitter. And uh, social, here's a good one for you. Ryan uh, Savita says, Socialist uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez thinks Congressman John Yarmuth is a Republican member of Commerce. It literally says in the tweet that she is quoting that Yarmuth is a Democrat. AOC doesn't even know who her Democrat colleagues in Congress are. How embarrassing. And then one more, Caleb Hull. In this tweet, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez shows she has no idea who this guy even is. He's a Kentucky Democrat who just happens to be the chair of the House Budget Committee. Major yikes for her. So anyway, she's open to shooting at things and and shooting before she looks at what she's trying to to, to hit. And uh, one last thing here before, because I'm just about out of time. Raw cell phone video shows Chubbs, a well-known 15-foot alligator, sunning himself on a Florida golf course. At the professional golf tournament, Louisiana received a shock when a huge alligator decided to make a snake its next meal. In footage shared this week by the PGA Tour's official Twitter account, a gator is seen emerging from a pond at the TPC course in Avondale, where the Zurich Classic is currently taking place. A few seconds later, it chomps down on a serpent, which appears to struggle before the gator pulls it into the water. Bottom line, maybe they don't need just to worry about tiger. Maybe they need to worry about alligators as well. 
All right, get, uh, let's get, get some news right now, and then we'll be back, and uh, Brian Lamb will be my special guest. That's coming up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 